Um, before we begin, though, I uh, I do have, um, <laughs> just like I did a couple weeks ago, follow up and follow forward. That's mm-hmm. been done. Um, so uh, two things before we start, both related to books. Uh, the follow up is not really <laughs> a, a correction or any additional information. I just wanted to point people back to last week's episode um, in which we discussed Harper Lee's uh, classic novel, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. It is the third of our sort of breaks from our normal topics, and we we talked about a book that um, people do some work in it, but it's not really about work or productivity or or our usual nonsense. So um, (laughs) I just wanted to point that out to people if they're just coming in to this episode um, or, you know, if you've fallen behind and you've uh, just jumped back in here, um, let you know what you missed last week. Because I think it turned out really, really well. And uh, if you have any interest in To Kill a Mockingbird or uh, you had to read it in high school and you're still bitter about it or anywhere in between, <laughs> uh, I'd recommend it highly. Related to that, my follow forward, <laughs> I'm following up on an episode that hasn't happened yet. Uh, I did want to let people know that next week um, we are also going to be talking about a book, although this one will not be a break from our usual topics. Um, <laughs> we will be discussing Susan Cain's Quiet the power of introverts in a world that can't stop talking. Um, it is, uh, on, on the face of it, it might just sound like a, you know, kind of pop psychology, um, personality sort of book and not especially related to priority esque topics, but as I'm sure we will discover next week, it is deeply intertwined with almost everything we talk about on here. Um, Mm-hmm. I, uh, I joked several episodes ago um, after making a Star Wars reference that I couldn't remember exactly how many times we talked about Star Wars and that in some ways I felt like I was always talking about Star Wars. Um, mm-hmm. I think that joke could be made not as a joke but a statement of fact when, when we talk about introversion. Like on this show, <laughs> I can't remember how many times I've talked about introversion because I'm pretty much always talking about introversion. So <laughs> anyhow um, – Mm-hmm. Uh, so Quiet by Susan Cain, um, very good book. Uh, not a perfect book, as I'm sure we'll discuss, but a very good book. I, I enjoy it a lot. Um, maybe my favorite nonfiction book of the last five years. Um, I'd have to think hard about that, but probably. <laughs> and I'll point out, uh, it's been out for a while, so your library probably has a copy if you don't want to shell out money for it. But if you don't mind spending money, dear listeners, uh, on Amazon Kindle right now, it is only $6.99. So... Mm. I think that's uh, that's well worth the the price. Very good. Yeah. Um, and not that they sponsored this podcast, but they seem to sponsor every podcast I've ever ever listened to ever. Um, but it's also available on Audible.com. Yes, yes. It is. As a matter of fact, at the moment, in order to prep for the show, I am both reading and listening to it. <gasps> hey, me too. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm not going back and forth. I'm I'm planning to cover the entire work in both formats, but I am. Uh, I mean, I'm not going back and forth, like, deliberately. Like, I listen to a chapter here and then read a chapter there. But I am doing both at the same time. Like, if I can't be reading it, I am listening to it while I do other things. Mm-hmm. And each, it, yeah. you know, they keep switching off, which is further ahead. It's a race. <laughs> so. So you, so you will win and lose? Yeah, yeah. No matter, no matter who wins, we all lose. Um, yeah. Yes. I, I would also say anybody who is mad at me for the open plan office stuff a couple of weeks ago, listen next week because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's about to get ten times worse. <laughs> wow, that's a that's a great sell, Max. She said in her sarcastic voice. <laughs> no, uh, I should be in podcasting. Uh, yes, 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 yes. 
You are listening to Priority, a podcast about choices, limitations, and getting stuff done. Priority is hosted by Katie Leipman and her brother, Max Leipman. That's me. Today's episode is entitled, There Might Be a Tsunami. For complete show notes, including links to anything we discuss on the podcast today, visit us online at priority.fm slash 28. All right, well today um, we are not talking about Susan Cain's Quiet or To Kill a Mockingbird, um, but instead I wanted to spend some time talking about something that I think comes up a lot in time management and, and productivity type talk, certainly a gigantic topic in project management and something that um, we as humans, um, and I mean both us on the podcast and really everyone, because it is a very human thing, um, are very bad at, and that is estimating. Mm. Um, I know Katie and I have both done a lot of prep for this. Um, so I just want to, I think I'll, I'll kick off just by citing probably my favorite quote on this that I came across today, um, which I think reflects, um, if not the mechanisms by which these things go wrong, at least the reality by which they go wrong. And it's actually about, um, computer programming specifically. Um, uh, it's uh, a quote from Tom Cargill of Bell Labs. Um, and he says, The first 90% of the code accounts for the first 90% of the development time. The remaining 10% of the code accounts for the other 90% of the development time. (laughs) Uh, This is sometimes referred to as the 90-90 rule. And, um, well, I I think it speaks for itself. Um, but it's something you're probably familiar with if you have ever had a project, um, be it a lengthy paper for high school or college or a home repair or building a new home or, um, planning a vacation or starting a new job or doing just about anything. Um, (laughs) you've, you've probably also discovered this rule in your, in your own life and work that, um, very often we're very bad at knowing how long and how much something is going to take. And, uh, often, often it's not, it's cause we're bad at estimating from the get go, but sometimes it's, it's just that until you get into it, you're not going to know what's actually involved. Um, mm-hmm. which I think is more the, more what the 1990 rule is referring to. Mm-hmm. Um, anyhow, uh, so the other thing that I thought of as a, as a good place to maybe start having thrown that quote out there, um, would be just to ask, um, so Katie, <laughs> <laughs> How do you estimate things? Uh, I have a better question if you don't like that one. Okay, and I don't. I'm I'm short on quips this evening. Apparently, that's, um, that's okay. I, I have underestimated my uh, on the fly responses. Sure, <laughs> or overestimated. Damn it, I'm bad at this. <laughs> I over under misestimated. Misestimated. Mm-hmm. Um, um mm-hmm. if you if you'd like maybe an easier question to congeal something around. <laughs> um could you give me an example, if one comes to mind, of a time that you misestimated something? Um well, I mean happens so often. I guess so one of the the big examples I was thinking of, um, and it was um nice timing that we're discussing this now at the, on the eve basically of a new school year. Um, but I was thinking a lot about how summer as a unit of time 
is, I think, always this way, but this summer especially, I was not giving enough credit for this. Um, things that were in my mind, summer projects that had no particular uh, detail to them. They had no weight. They had no deadline. Um, there were not a lot of factors to make the decision of when and how to do these projects easy or hard. Um, they just sort of floated around in conversation about summer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but now that it is, uh, shrinking away from me, um, I'm realizing that there were things that in my mind would just sort of fill this magical unstructured time I had over the last several months. Um, not, not unfull, but unstructured, certainly. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. So I guess that's one sort of big example. <laughs> and there were several projects yeah. in there. <laughs> summer, is, summer is an interesting, um, unit of time. And, and I think mm-hmm. uh, probably even more profoundly true for you than for me, but, but certainly I still feel this. And I think it, I think it's the reason I think it's more profound for you is because you're, you're still, in a continuous string of, of academia. Um, but I, I kind of feel like the way that we, most of us go through school in North America as we're growing up, um, it really encourages us to think of summer as this giant limitless unit of time. Um, mm-hmm. because in, in theory, and I mean, increasingly, everyone's always had activities in the summer and increasingly kids end up with their summers booked up with classes and clubs and camps and sports and what have you. Um, but compared to other parts of the year, I think even for very busy kids in the summer, summer is a, is a much less structured time. And it is probably the time in the year when you have the most days in a row or the highest concentration of days, at least where there's, there's kind of nothing going on and certainly Mm -hmm. nothing as, as you know, soul-crushingly, all-consumingly bland and structured as school. Um, not that I'm bitter. <laughs> but I, I think, you know, if you if you have, you know, summers like me, I didn't have a lot of summer activities growing up. We had a few here and there, but for the most part, it wasn't until I was in high school that I really did much of anything in the summer, and then I mostly worked. Um, sure. And it it just it felt like all year we were just trying to get through the school year where we had these little two day breaks every week called the weekend and occasionally <laughs> a holiday or a teacher in service day and then the summer came and you know to have two and a half three months of basically nothing to do it was mm-hmm. it was an inconceivably big amount of time again right. made so because no, we didn't yeah. have anything but a day or two you know nine months out of the year mm-hmm no, and I like that word limitless that you used because it it really gets at how compared to those little breaks like a night off or a weekend off, um, a summer feels infinite compared to those chunks of time, mm. um, like infinitely bigger. Right. Um, you know, if we think of, we talked in a previous episode about what units of time does it really take to get something done? Mm-hmm. Um or what, what rather is the, the minimum amount of time it could take to get a thing done. Um, and then when I think of summer in that context, it feels like you should be able to get one million things done. You know what I mean? Yeah. By comparison. Yeah. If you can do a few projects in a weekend, (laughs) well then with all of these two day stretches back to back to back (laughs) that are unstructured, it should just keep going. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so that didn't happen. That's the, <laughs> <laughs> that's the takeaway there. <laughs> um, there's something, something that might also contribute to this, in addition to just the illusion that it's a limitless block of time um, created by our, our again, I, I, I hypothesize created by our upbringing. Um, I, I, what you just said strikes me as being maybe a very good introduction to a particular uh, rule or law that you might have looked up in your show prep. <laughs> Do you want to talk about that? Sure. Um, I'm guessing that you were thinking of Parkinson's law. So I hadn't read the um, origin of this. Of this, well, I, I I'm familiar with the phenomenon, and I knew that this was a, a common name for it. I did not know the origin of the of the phrase. Is this the one from Gerda Lesherbach. Yeah, basically. Okay. No, I I haven't read Gert, that one. Oh. Maybe. Um. No. Did Did you see this? Um, if you're on the wiki page for it, you would have I'm seen looking. it. <laughs> through your thir- you're flipping through your 13 mm-hmm. pages of notes. Oh no, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of Hofstetter's law. Okay, I was going to say this one. So, from what I could tell from the internet, um, Wikipedia and its its uh, various sources. Um, so, so first of all, Parkinson's law um, suggests that a task will expand to fill the time that is given for it. Yes, um, there is a a more precise. There's a direct quotation for the wording, but that is the basic idea. Um, Given the resource of time, a task will expand and fill what it is given, what is allotted to it, what's available to that task. Um, so if you give an employee in an office, for instance, um, an entire day to do one stack of filing, um, it could very well take that person the entire day, even though in a crunch it might only take that person 20 minutes. Right. But given till the end of the day, it, it could expand to fill that day. Um, but yeah, the, <laughs> the phrase comes from, um, uh, an author and historian named Cyril, Cyril Northcote Parkinson, um, wonderful name, um, a British person, um, who I think had worked for the British civil service. Mm-hmm. Um, and this law he wrote about, um, in a humorous essay in the economist in 1955, um, sort of laying out as if it were sort of a scientific sociological problem, um, how this law, Parkinson's law, works in action using the example of bureaucrats, of public servants, um, <laughs> and how, how much basically, how, many time, how much time and how many resources um, are wasted in such human enterprises <laughs> as bureaucracies. Um, so good stuff and not wrong. <laughs> I mean, what do you, what do you think? I um yeah I I think it's it, I'm reminded of something that um I don't know if he got it from anywhere if it's just his own coinage but something Marilyn Mann has said a lot which is um something about things not being real um in inside a company unless it has um a budget one person who is ultimately responsible for it and most crucially a deadline. Um, mm. you know, and, and just thinking about, I mean, first of all, I think it's absolutely true in a lot of cases that, that like, if all you've got to do is this one thing and you have X amount of time to do it in, um, yeah, it's going to tend to take that whole time. Um, there are people, I have a, I have a colleague at work right now, actually, who is very good at this and I really admire her for it. Um, and I think some of her former colleagues, um, she's, she's now kind of moved up, 
to the level that I'm at. But some of her former colleagues, I think, were were a little bit either envious or mad about this tendency. But she would <laughs> always like just crank on whatever was going on until it was gone, and then then kind of relax. You know, not not in a you know I'm going to kick back and spend seven hours out of my workday in a hammock or anything like that. But sure. She just very much had this had this uh, mindset that whatever was there to be done was to be done, and she was going to get it done. And it didn't mm-hmm. matter how long she had. Like, if all she had were these three files to deal with this week, they weren't going to take her. She wasn't going to be doing them at a rate of one every day or two. She was going to get them all done mm-hmm. this morning and then wait the rest of the week for something else to come in. <laughs> you know? And, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm I'm sometimes like that, and I admire people who are like that all the time. I think the more common case is... Um, the work does expand and the work expands because until the deadline is here, it doesn't really have a deadline. Um, I think we're kind of bad about placing ourselves into even tomorrow, let alone next week or next month. You know, if you've got two weeks to get a project done, um, (laughs) you don't have five work days, each of those two weeks for a total of 10 days. You have probably the day or two before it's due because you're not going to do it before then. Um, I think I think the deadline is a lot of what makes Parkinson's law work and what makes it kind of pernicious is that oh, yeah. you know without the pressure of the deadline a lot of us don't do a lot of the things we need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no, no. I'm um, <clears throat> there's a, another law which Wikipedia lists as a related law called Hofstetter's law um, that I also like, which says uh, and it's it's <laughs> I like it for two reasons. I like it first of all because I think it's. I think it's another good adage, another good reflection of our, our human failings at estimating, but also I like it because it's self-referential. Um, Hofstetter's law states, it always takes longer than you expect, even when you take into account Hofstetter's law. <laughs> it's Hofstetter all the way down. Indeed. Um, and I, I think that's, I think these two things, you know, a lot of why we get bitten in the butt by our own procrastination are these two things kind of work against each other. Um, mm-hmm. You know, work expands to fill the time that we have allotted to it. Like however much time we have, we assume we can use that entire time. And either we do and go very slowly or we don't. And then at the end, we've got a lot left. But either way, we're also <laughs> misestimating how much time it's going to take, underestimating how much time it's going to take specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when the deadline does eventually loom, and your Parkinson's your Parkinson's field is compressed um, to whatever time you've got left. Uh, the work suddenly balloons out as you get into it and realize how much you really have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, when I was reading some of this stuff earlier, I kept, I got in this loop where, and this happens in grad school sometimes, where you you get hooked on a paradox or a statement. And then you just sort of think it in a loop and it just sort of spirals out of control and you're like, oh, well, no, everything's inevitable. So I'm just going to stop thinking about it. (laughs) But then it's like, wait, does this really mean that we just need to like give up thinking about it? Like if Parkinson's law really does govern all these scenarios, then like is everything hopeless and there's no like why even talk about estimation? Like this is reality. Like this is how it's going to work no matter what. Um, And then I got over it and it was here. Here we are. My head didn't explode. Indeed, so, indeed. Um, you know, and, and maybe it's because I know that this stuff is so true for me. So to jump to some of the sort of hacks or takeaways, um, so we can wrap this up in a half hour. Um, no big deal. <laughs> um, I, I was thinking about how 
um, giving myself a shot of Parkinson's law with deadlines, you know, however I can engineer them, um, or constraints, you could say. Um, those are the scenarios where I really feel like I'm being an effective human being mm-hmm. and I'm making responsible choices and using my time well is those moments where I have created a scenario um, that puts that pressure on myself. And maybe pressure is not the exact right word or the only word to describe it. Um, or in other cases, embracing scenarios that have come up. Mm-hmm. So even... Uh, yesterday, um, yesterday morning, our dear mother texted me and asked if, um, she and dad could drop by at our house. Um, they're going to be in the area. Um, and usually we plan things well ahead of time. Um, but in this case they were going to be down here anyway. And so it worked out. Um, (laughs) but sort of like the 90, 90 principle, um, we've gotten a lot done at the house. As we know, this was the summer of boxes. Mm -hmm. Um, but we still had some, um, uh, post move in eyesores, eyesore spots around the house. Um, things that I'd been meaning to do and things had piled up and things that I hadn't picked a new home for and and moved around. Um, so needless to say, I ran around like a maniac for three hours yesterday and took care of all of them like magic, (laughs) even though they've been sitting there for weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, but as soon as I was texting with mom, I turned to Billy and I was like, Hey, you want to clear out out of the house for a couple hours so I can be a maniac and get this <laughs> stuff done? Cause I'm going to do it. Like this is sure. like, this is the universe saying, Hey Katie, that pile of boxes. Hey Katie, that stuff that you haven't made decisions about. <laughs> Your moment has come. Um, mm-hmm. you said you didn't like, you know, necessarily the word pressure, but, um, I, I think I think I might have a couple of terms that might might be a better, a gentler <laughs> fit. <laughs> Although, as as your reference to being a maniac alludes to, it's not always going to be you got to feel gentle. But um, <laughs> one word that springs to mind another Merlin Merlin mannerism. Um, <laughs> uh, one of pun pretend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite episodes of Back to Work of all time, uh, episode number 70, uh, Expectation Zero, um, I believe is the one where he talks about this, and I'm about 90% certain because I've got a couple of notes mm-hmm. about it from another project where I was referencing it. Um, uh, he talks about the idea of compression um, rather mm. than pressure on yourself, uh, specifically citing the example of like if, you've, if you're at work for a half day right before vacation – and, you know, you are getting on a plane flying away. You know, there is there is no way afternoon that you're going to be able to do any more today. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, and in that, in that episode, he's talking about it more um, <laughs> in, in sort of a prioritizing sense. Like, you know, what are the things that have to get done today? Um, right. You know, there's, there's not going to like be that many. Like do or many, die. Yeah, exactly. There's not going to be that many things that, that can happen today. So which ones have to happen? in order for me to get out of here. Um, but I, I think both as a way to force yourself to make those hard choices, as well as just a way to get your butt moving, um, again, sort of a reverse Parkinson's lot, like that idea of compression, I, I think, is is good. Um, I'm reminded as well of something from Julie Morgenstern's uh, book, uh, depending on which edition you find, either called Making Work Work or uh, Never Check Email in the Morning. Um, uh, book marketing people. Um, 
she has something in there that I also like a lot, which is a suggestion, uh, and particularly for people who are salaried. I think if you're hourly, this might cause you some trouble. Um, but a suggestion that if you're having trouble getting everything done, leave work an hour earlier than you're used to. Um, hmm. You know, force yourself to fit it all into a smaller box. Um, and and I think some things like what you described there, you know, that scenario, I, <laughs> Courtney and I actually had a very similar um, situation a couple months ago when uh, when our parents were driving through um, from Florida to Nebraska. <laughs> it happened to be passing near Kansas City, and Courtney and my mom were texting, and, and you know, they were like, well, hey, how about we stop by and say hello? And <laughs> they did 45 minutes later after a blindingly fast cleaning and straightening up of the main level of the house. Uh, oh because, uh, you know, we, place wasn't a complete disaster, but there's things we'd been putting off, putting away. And, you know, it's mm-hmm. been a very busy year. So things were, let's say, <laughs> suboptimally clean and organized. Um, and we got what would probably would have been a lazy Saturday's worth of work done in about 45 minutes. Oh, of the yes. opposite of lazy. So the solution here is text your mom. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you. That's how you do Pretty this much. stuff, folks. You yeah. Text, with but but the word I like there yeah. is compression. You're not. It's not so much about putting pressure on yourself as saying mm-hmm. saying you know, can this be done in less time? Uh, and and we're talking about circumstances where there's something external looming. Um, in in Merlin's example, a vacation or other trip looming. In in our example, you know, a visitor looming. Mm-hmm. Um, in uh, in the case of somebody you know like an expectant parent, um, projects like get the nursery ready. <laughs> <laughs> a very specific, um, although ultimately unknown until you get there, deadline looming, uh, mm-hmm. for example. Uh, the other the other word that occurs to me, in addition to compression, that I, I think would be a more an even more general principle here, and also a gentler word than pressure, would be stretch. Um, you know, it's it might be useful to think of these things in terms of can you stretch a little bit and do just a bit more than what you were expecting hmm. to. Um, you know, and as, as an example, we've said before, and I still believe this, like, don't write yourself completely out of words every day. But if you're cranking out a certain number of, of dozens or hundreds of words on a lengthy project and the deadline is looming, you know, ask yourself if you can stretch a little bit and do 10% more. Um, -hmm. if you are, if you are, um, you know, taking some kind of classes or, or other, um, educational units towards some sort of degree or certification, you know, say you're you're working on a degree, and you know if you're not if you're not really satisfied with your progress, well, don't try to take thirty six credit hours the next semester. <laughs> but maybe instead of twelve, try thirteen. You mm-hmm. know, see see if you can sneak something in. Um, so I don't know. Stretch stretch would be the way I would put it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you can't really think of a good way, if, if it feels too artificial to compress the time that you're in and you don't want to put pressure on yourself in terms of beating yourself up for not doing it. Say, can I stretch and do a little bit more in this time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm trying to think of, um, other language too. Um, cause in some of these cases it's, I've given myself or, or it has just sort of arrived on my plate, um, a reason to move it up the list, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Although I had been intending to do a lot of the stuff that I did yesterday in my maniacal runaround, <laughs> um, the visit gave me the reason to do it yesterday and not this week or next mm-hmm. week, you know. Um, yeah, so it gives you the reason for today. Um, 
Yeah, having those landmarks, though, is super helpful for me. Um, and I know I've mentioned this on, uh, it was probably in our um, sort of overview episode of things that have worked for us, um, sort of a rundown of different mm-hmm tips and tricks and just strategies that literally we've tried and have found success with. Um, I'm sure I mentioned it there, but things like having people over as silly as it sounds, um, (laughs) that's really good for making me pay attention to my environment, (laughs) (laughs) um, as in my home and, you know, where I'm doing my work and, oh, wait, why is my, my work spread out all over the house when I'm not using it all over the house? It should all be in this place. I should put those things away now. Um, stuff like that. Um, other things like, uh, and I know I've said this before, and of course everyone's context is different because everyone's work lives are different. Um, mine, fortunately for most of the year, not always true, um, is a little more flexible in that, um, sometimes I get to pick my, my class schedule. Sometimes I get to pick when I need to be in my office and when I don't need to be in my office, things like that. Um, but because I sort of require structure so as not to fall victim to Parkinson's law, I'll do things like if I can put things on my schedule in the morning, that really helps me mm-hmm. have a more focused work day, right. you know, so things aren't spilling over into the evening, stuff like that. Um, I'll also do stuff like um, when I know that I'm going to need somebody's feedback or input or something eventually, Um getting dates on the calendar for that coffee meeting Mm -hmm. or meeting in somebody's office or whatever, knowing exactly when that's going to be gives me the thing to work to. So, you know, we talk about in writing a lot, how you could have 800 versions of a, of a single piece of writing. Um, but at a certain point you have to recognize (laughs) when you are certainly at the good enough point. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you can make any project never ending. Um, but why would you ever want to? Right. (laughs) Yeah, indeed. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Um, yeah, I, I like all that. I like the external deadlines. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, recommend that everybody put a deadline on everything in their life and and abuse that because i i think that will (laughs) i don't think that will scale frankly um uh one one thing i would say is and your whole day is booked (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) and you're not actually doing the work you're just (laughs) um (laughs) something that that i came across in my in my prep actually was the the notion like one of one of the places that we fall down on estimating um is estimating what we can get done in a day um, and I think if, if, you know, one tries to structure too much and overuse this, you know, give everything a deadline and, and assign everything to a specific block of time, um, you're going to fall down for a number of reasons. First of all, it's just surprise, you know, stuff's going to come up. Um, <laughs> surprise, you fell down. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, things are going to change on you. It's, it's going to happen. Um, and the, the more, the more rigid and full your schedule is, the more fragile it is. And the easier stuff like that will knock you off off your course. Um, I I was reminded in doing this prep. I think I've referenced this stat on the show before. Um, in the previous version of their time management course, Franklin Covey's uh, focus, they had this um, 
I'm I'm 99% certain I've said this before, but anyhow, I'll throw out a case <laughs> that applies to this. They have this the stat in there where they, they one of the things they tell you to do, and I, I don't recommend this specifically, but they say to make a realistic to do list every day and prioritize it. Um, and that part I don't don't necessarily recommend, but I think the second mm-hmm. part of this is really smart. Um, but they said make a realistic to do list, and they define realistic by saying no more than 65% of your available time. You know, so look at your mm. schedule, wherever you're going to be that you could be doing what, quote unquote, you call your work, you know, whatever is going to go on your to-do list, however much time mm. you're going to be there, back out all the meetings, back out lunch, you know, and then what, whatever you've got left, 65% of that tops. Um, <laughs> and then they said for people in high response jobs, like if you're in a very customer-centric, customer-driven, you know, like you're in a call center or something or or, sure. um, you know, you work in an ER <laughs> or what have you. Um, if you're in a very, very high response type role, then 35%. Um, and sure. the rationale in both cases was because you, you, the rest of it is going to, you're not going to be able to anticipate, you know, at mm-hmm. least a third. Or control. Or control. At least a third to two mm-hmm. third of your day, depending on how much of your job is responding. Um, you're not going to be able to predict or control. And I think that's I think that's pretty wise. I don't think that's a bad guideline. I would say for everybody, I would start at thirty five percent, and then maybe ratchet it down even more, though. Because again, <laughs> we are as human beings, we're we're terrible at estimating time. Um, but I also kind of wonder if that wasn't sort of baked in. Like they don't say in that old seminar, um, and I'll link to a recording of it in in show notes. They don't say that that it's because you're also going to overestimate how much you can get done. <laughs> but I kind of feel <laughs> like that's unspoken. Like. You know, it, even if your day goes perfectly and nobody bugs you all day, you're not going to get to more than 65% of what you think you can do in that day, most days, just because mm-hmm. you're not as quick as you think with a lot of this stuff. And not because anything's mm-hmm. wrong with you, just because we're all bad at, at planning. Mm-hmm. Well, and we don't know. Um, well, shoot, doesn't this have a name? We We don't know what the problems are until we're... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it. they um, I, are, if you're thinking of something I've referenced before, there's a, a thing from um, project management, and also actually, um, I think Dick Cheney or or um, <laughs> uh, one of Bush's cabinet members might have said this in a speech at some point, um, infamously. But there's this idea of of you know, there's there's known knowns, there's things you know for sure. There's known unknowns, which are things that you don't know, but you know that you don't know them. Um, mm-hmm. I can't tell you, um, you know, what, what the, uh, the distance to any given star in the sky is, but I know what stars are and I know that they are astronomical distances away and that somebody has measured these to some approximation, right. you know, that's, so the distance itself is a known unknown. Uh, and mm-hmm. then there's unknown unknowns, which are <laughs> things that I know, not only don't know, I don't even know. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. and I don't have a good example of those cause if I did, it wouldn't, be a unknown unknown <laughs> what a cop out man <laughs> but it's can't explain the concept you know in in terms of like uh, again the the uh I'm, I'm saying dick cheney forgive me history buffs slash bush haters if you remember exactly who said this from his cabinet it wasn't dick cheney but anyhow i i you know in his speech when he's talking about unknown unknowns it was something you know Iraq, Afghanistan, or in general war and terror related, um if memory serves mm-hmm. and you know in in those terms something like um well, like 9-11 itself before it happened um, was an unknown mm-hmm. unknown. I mean, not that no one had ever thought that such a thing could happen and not that right. no one in the domestic intelligence and uh, law enforcement communities had noticed anything was going on because, you know, 
people had and people had. Um, but it was unthinkable to most people, professional and not, that that was going to happen that way, that successfully against us right. all at once. Yeah. Um, it was an unknown unknown on 910. Right. Yeah. No, now that I'm thinking about it, we have. Uh, and that's not exactly what I was thinking of. Um, and I'll try to figure out if, if I can think of what I'm, what I'm thinking of. I can give an example of it. Um, yeah, give me an example. But this con, yeah. Um, but I will say this concept and this is why I remember that we've talked about it. Um, it comes up in comm studies. Um, one way to think of it, there's this concept known as, <laughs> known, known, um, known as the Johari oh, window. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's those four quadrants yeah, of, I, Known to self and known to others, or not known to self and not right. known to others, and they, yeah, the four quadrants. I think that you actually. You I think I got on off the track because I thought you said just now that it was something that I'd brought up, but I think you brought that one up. Yeah, but I think we both. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah we, we talked yeah, about it at one point. Talked about it though. Um, um, yeah. yeah. So what I'm thinking of is more like um, <laughs> it'd be like a weird corollary to. Uh, Murphy's Law, all these dudes and their laws. What is with this episode? Kind <laughs> um, of make a Katie Law. Um, you can cut all this out. Um, just ranting. But I'm thinking more of like, so one thing that would happen at my editing job would be we might get a Word document from one of the writers we were working with and have no idea but it would be very like where it came from, but it would be very clear to us that there was some sort of technical glitch in the document mm -hmm. that would cause weird formatting things to happen. Sure. Um, even to the point that sometimes just pulling the content from the document and starting clean, <laughs> whatever the little twitches were would come with it. Mm -hmm. um, so we'd have to figure out why inexplicably a middle segment of the document was putting an extra page number in the bottom middle of every <laughs> single page. And we could not get rid of it. Right. Like you could not highlight and delete it. And we couldn't tell what type of field it was. It wasn't in the footer, but it wasn't a text box and yada, 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 yada. And it, it just followed the document like a ghost. Mm -hmm. um, couldn't get it out of there. Stuff like that. Um, so the things that you can't know are going to go wrong, I guess. Right. Um, and that's a little different from not being able to know what are the interruptions and what are the new business that's going to mm -hmm. come your way. Yeah. Um, but I think it's one of the things that uh, we, you don't account for it because you don't want it to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, like why would you plan for that? That's a horrible right, thing. Like right. <laughs> nerve wracking, well, awful I, thing. I got yeah. I kind of digressed into like the, the, the military terrorism <laughs> examples of unknown unknowns. But when, <laughs> when, when I talked previously about, you know, the idea of known unknowns and unknown unknowns, it was from a project management context. And like, that's kind of, that's where that, that phrasing I sure. think originally comes from. Um, although it's very bound up with the military, because of course a lot of project management was developed, you know, <laughs> in military and, and space exploration con contexts. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, I mean, if something is a known unknown, you know, if it's, it's something you don't know, but you know, it could be a problem at some point, then it's, it's, mm -hmm. 
it, it becomes something that's a risk. You know, you can, you can address it then if you feel like it, you know, in your planning, in your estimating of how well or poorly this is going to go, you have the opportunity to address it. You know, you can say, mm-hmm. okay, we know a certain percentage of the time we spend like 45 minutes more wrestling with this godforsaken Microsoft Word formatting bug. Um, <laughs> so let's just assume, you know, on every project, an extra half an hour just to make sure we've got time to account for that. Um, Ugh, I wish it was just a half yeah, hour. Me too. Me too. Oh, so I, awful. And I know the kind of thing you mean. <laughs> Actually, there's a uh, very recent episode of, I think, Accidental Tech Podcast. I'll try to find it for show notes where uh, John Syracuse was talking about this very issue and how oh word gosh. processors, and, and he, he admits, and I, I also don't know this for sure, this may not be how modern word processors work. This mental model might be wrong, but it's how they used to work, and the effect is still more or less the same. Um, so Mm -hmm. a lot of word processors, at least back in the day and probably still today, how they achieve a lot of their formatting is there are a bunch of invisible characters denoting where various regions begin and end, you know, like this section is bold and this subsection is italicized and this is a paragraph and this is da 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 da, you know, um, and sometimes you end up with one of those, uh, that is either, either actually behaving, you know, in error, it has attached itself to something it shouldn't be attached to and will not let go. Um, or it just, it, the computer and you have different opinions about where that character has landed. And everything you do to try to correct it is failing because you're missing the actual edge of the formatting mm. region. And of course, every time it touches something, it's going to, you know, screw it up. So, mm-hmm. anyhow. Um, yeah, I know I know exactly what you mean. And But if you'd never seen that before, that would be an unknown unknown. You can't estimate for that. You can pad right. all your estimate. You can say, okay, every one of these writing projects, we're going to put an extra hour in because who knows. Mm-hmm. But there's only so much of that you can do. Like yeah. you, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't pad a mm-hmm. project. If you have a routine of you know a certain number of projects a year of editing articles, you should not pad that out with the assumption that, you know, going back to the to the – Actually, I'm thinking about, I think it was Donald Rumsfeld who said it. But anyhow, going back to the Donald Rumsfeld example, you shouldn't say, we're going to allow an extra week for editing this article because a plane might hit a building. Right, right. Yeah. Um, There might be a tsunami in our inland state. (laughs) Oh, oh man. I was just thinking about, um, you can cut all this out. Um... Done. Um, how much time I give students for various projects and parts of their their writing projects? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking about the the reasons they might tell me that oh that's not going to be enough time, which never comes up ahead of time. It always happens once they're in right. it. I'm like oh my god, we should have had more time for this. We should have had more time for this. Um, and I don't mean to use that whiny of a voice, but to me, that's how it sounds after it's all said and done. It's like, well, you did fine, and here you are. So I don't know why you think you needed more time. You obviously didn't <laughs> because you got it done, and it was good. <laughs> um, uh, what was I thinking about before this? Yeah, you can cut all this out. Um, no, so what I'm thinking, though, hearing you talk about it, isn't time – like the time something will take to completion mm-hmm. um, without a deadline or with a flexible deadline, isn't it always a known unknown? <laughs> I mean, like you can't know until it's done. I don't know. Well, there's, I mean, there's, and I think that goes back to our, our kind of the, 
the opening statement of the entire trial, um, which was the the ninety ninety rule. You know, the first ninety percent takes ten percent or takes ninety percent of the time, and then the last ten percent takes the other ninety percent of the time. There's mm-hmm. gonna be a certain amount of stuff you you never know until you get into it, um, which is again part of why Parkinson's law works. I think because you know you don't know, so you don't get started mm-hmm. on it right away, and you don't discover until much later, and so forth and so on. Um, I don't know. I I think the the big thing with uh, yes to your to your question, yes, it always kind of is uh, a known unknown. Like we're never going to be certain it's going to take this amount of time. Um, mm-hmm. We're never going to be a hundred percent certain anyhow. And like the only times we're going to come close to certain is when a machine is doing it, and we know roughly what that machine is capable of, and what the percentage of time it is usually down and broken is. Um, mm-hmm. And in that case, that will still be wrong sometimes. You know, because things yeah. happen. And we are certainly less consistent machines. We are, yeah, we are less machines. consistent machines than machines. That is true. Um, I believe that is Katie's law. Yes. <laughs> Cut it off here. Ding. Um, and I, I, and I mean, I think that's why all of this is hard. But I also think that's why it's worth talking about and it's worth thinking about and worth keeping in mind whenever you are estimating things that you know you are you are going to be worse at it than you think you are. <laughs> Again, Hofstetter's mm-hmm. law. It's going to take longer wait, than you wait. think, even considering it's going to take longer than you think. Um, I, I would point out, too, I, I mean, it's really easy to think of times when I've underestimated, when other people have underestimated what it's going to cost or how much time it's going to take to do something, because it happens all the time. I found myself a couple times recently being extremely pleased with how overestimated I did. I, hold on. Let me start that sentence over. Um, <laughs> extremely pleased with how badly I overestimated the time required for things that I was asking other people to do. Um, mm. I had a couple of projects I delegated uh, just last week that uh, I expected the people I gave them to not to fit them in and w- that, you know, within the course of that week. And then I expected them to take forever. And mm-hmm. like both of them came back within two days. Done. And they're fine. Um, That's a wonderful thing. Yeah. yeah. So something that um, I'm forgetting the name of, but I'll I'll find for show notes. Uh, It is something that is is, um, documented in psychology, particularly in procrastination research, that we tend to be – we we tend to be very good at giving others advice. Um, Like we can always Mm -hmm. tell what Mm -hmm. somebody Mm -hmm. else should be doing. We're not always very good at doing that for ourselves. Um, like, it's very easy sure. looking at a third party to say, well, she should be studying tonight and tomorrow and then party on Saturday because she's got that test on Friday. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas when it's us, it's much easier to say, oh, I'll be fine. <laughs> I can get the studying done before class on Friday. It'll be fine. Right. Um, and I, I think there's something, maybe something similar at work here where we're very optimistic about our own. Maybe, and, and going back to it, I'm thinking thinking through what you said a few minutes ago about not wanting to think about things going wrong. Like we don't want to imagine this bad thing going wrong, even this one we've seen before. Um, right. Why would you plan yeah, for apocalypse? Yeah, we're not going to plan for our own work to go badly, but we're going to assume everyone else is a schlub who bad things happen to and can't cope with them. So, so I think that might be one, one tip is <laughs> imagine someone else were doing this project. How much time would you want to give them? Oh, well, that's interesting. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's tough because I'm thinking about how, um, and maybe here I'll throw in um, what I was thinking about from uh, a book we've mentioned before, Barry Schwartz's um, The Paradox of Choice. Mm -hmm. 
um, sort of pop psychology um, overview of um, how he sees the modern role of choice and especially American culture. Um, uh, Cause what I'm thinking about is that is, are you, uh, uh, how do I even say this? Is there, so I guess my question, the question I'm grappling with is, is there really a point at which you are setting yourself up for doing quality, like the highest quality possible work? Because in some scenarios, like I mentioned, just, you know, for me personally, I know that I'm setting myself up for success if I understand a task well and I give myself a nice little window with some hard edges Mm -hmm. um, to work with. But at the same time, there's some stuff, let's say grand scale, like, um, you know, my entire thesis, that big summer project I didn't do, my whatever, like something Mm -hmm. bigger um, or that has higher stakes, you could say, um, you know, like in the case of a thesis or a, right. a big project, a big presentation, whatever, um, where then I think, oh, but I shouldn't do that, that sort of finite crammy version, the, com- the compressed version, mm-hmm. because then what if um, that window is only, is only going to set me up for good enough, mm-hmm. you know? It will be done. It will not be great. Right. Um, and that's not okay for these high-stakes situations. Yeah. Well, it's, it's um, less okay maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd, I'd also, I'd also yeah. reference um, <laughs> another book we've talked about, um, Joan Bolker's Write Your Dissertation in 15 Minutes a Day, <laughs> who, who, um, who borrows the oldest graduate school joke in the world, which is, you know, what do you, what do you call the lowest-ranking graduate at a doctoral hooding ceremony? Doctor. Uh, meaning, of course, you know, yeah, that's you're you're making the point you're making is absolutely valid, but there is also there are also cases like that where the high stakes thing needs to be done. It doesn't need to be the best one in the world. Um, yeah. PhD candidates, I am not recommending that you flub your <laughs> your um, your dissertation. So, but don't. Max Parkinson's law. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, you make it. You make a good point, though. Quality is. Um, uh, I will refer listeners back to time, cost, quality, or cup holders. A previous episode of this mm-hmm. podcast, mm-hmm. in which we talked about the project management triangle, um, which of course is time, cost, and quality. Um, you know, and if mm-hmm. you if you push on one of those too hard, and like we're talking now about compressing or stretching yourself in terms of the amount of time, yeah, you're probably gonna have to give up something else. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So that, mm-hmm. so that question of quality is what today had me thinking about um, Schwartz's book because he talks um, at one point about um, so when given um, a multitude of factors and a multitude of options to make a to make a decision among um, the various ways that people cope with that situation, and he he was talking about. Uh, two potential categories you could put choosers into um, would be uh, maximizers who are people who want to uh, assess all of the options available and think about that decision from every possible angle, um, be aware of and and weigh all the options, that sort of Mm -hmm. thing in order to find the very best possible option. So not only, um, you know, which of the alternatives that are right in front of me is best, 
but which objectively period in the world is the best. Um, that person would be a maximizer. Um, but another category he talks about is someone who would be a satisficer, someone who, um, given certain parameters, knows perhaps what their own personal standards are. Mm-hmm. And when they've seen enough to know that they have found something in that realm, um, they say, wonderful, this is good enough. And good enough is exactly what I want mm-hmm. because I knew going into this choice, these were the, this is the realm in which I, I want my, my solution mm-hmm. to be. Um, and, oh, look, here's an example of that. I'm going to take this one and not, oh, wait, what if there are more out there and, and I should go right. look? Um, good enough is good enough. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. So, yeah, that's what I'm thinking about in terms of time. You know, you could tell yourself, oh, if I dedicate these five hours to this task, it could be perfect. Um, really, I should spend three of those hours doing this other thing because it really needs to get done today. Mm-hmm. Um, but, oh, the two hours will only be good enough. Like, yeah, I can finish it in two hours, but what if I want to dink around and dwell and, and do all this other stuff in the other three hours? Um, you know, so how to make those choices, too, mm-hmm. when there are so many unknown unknowns. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and that's, um, there's a, uh, something David Allen said in one of his seminars that, that sticks with me a lot, especially these days is, you know, there's, um, none of us have time to do any project that's on our plate perfectly. Um, but at the same time, like anything that's on our plate, we could spend the rest of our lives doing and making better with the virtually infinite amounts of information available you know, online yeah. and new technologies coming online all the time and all of the new connections that we can make in the world. Um, you know, our, our options to, to make something great have always been really pretty vast and are now growing even, even, you know, vaster, um, <laughs> in, mm-hmm. inestimable one might say. Yeah. Max is wrong. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and I I don't know I I liked what you brought up there I hadn't I hadn't been thinking of of Barry Schwartz at all um, in the context of of this talk getting ready for it but uh, the satisficing is a, it's a it's a it's a good important concept because um, you know as as you point out like this this applies you know you could you could keep going until it is perfect or you can keep going until it's good enough and move on. Um, one of those is probably going to keep you closer to your time estimate <laughs> and that's going to be satisficing. Mm-hmm. Um, the yeah. other thing I'd say too, though, with, with estimating is I would also say for an estimate, you know, for figuring out when you're going to be able to get something done, it's probably good to satisfice there as well. And, you know, don't figure out like what is the absolute best case for getting this done? Like, can I finish a master's degree in five weeks? Um, <laughs> you know, think about instead what's going to be good enough. And, you know, depending on the degree, two years is probably good enough. And in your case, d- again, depending on the degree, and if you're you're doing something part-time, you know, you're already out in the workforce or something, maybe longer is good enough. You know, mm-hmm. figure out what's good yeah. enough for you and then work off of that instead of saying, like, you know, what is the, mm-hmm. what's the optimistic case? Um, yeah. like, what's the good enough case? Mm-hmm. Well, and again, I'm glad you got it 
into this territory too, because that's helping me zoom out and think about how you can't estimate for a single project or a single task in a bubble either. Um, Mm. You're always in the context of your day or your week or your life or your circumstances. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm thinking too about, um, you're right that thinking about not only optimal, but also good enough. So what is the bare minimum? What Mm -hmm. is, what do I need to do it? And what do I want to do it? Um, You know, thinking about both those questions and everything in between is important. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially because you might get to the end of the day and be faced with a choice like, well, I could stay an hour later, but the trade-off is I am not going to be able to cook dinner, mm-hmm. so I'm going to eat something junky, and then I'm not going to sleep as well, and then tomorrow's going to be a little rough, you know. Right. Or should I call it quits, go eat some, you know, nice, yummy, fresh vegetables that I'm going to cook, um, sleep okay, get up a little earlier, and come in and crank it out in 20 minutes, you know, before my day actually starts. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Katie's law. <laughs> yeah. Um, on, I have one more, actually two more takeaways, um, but they're related. I'll tie them together. Um, so on, on the subject of, of just how to construct an estimate, I guess, um, in addition to thinking about good enough and also be willing to play with, you know, things like compression and stretching yourself, um, one other project managementy thing that I looked up while I was getting ready for this is is something um, called PERT, um, which I believe is a combination shampoo and conditioner. No, wait, sorry, that's PERT plus. Um, <laughs> uh, PERT. Oh, this is just regular type. It's <laughs> just regular type PERT. Just regular type. Uh, PERT is the. Hold on, I want to get the acronym right. I was going to say this sounds acronymy. It is. Acronymonious. Yeah. Oh, here we go. It's right on the front page. <laughs> stands for <laughs> it stands for uh, program evaluation and review technique, um, and it's actually uh, a much broader set of of techniques and figures and formulas, as I understand it, that mostly aren't used anymore today. But there's one central formula <laughs> that. Thanks, obsolete Max. <laughs> <laughs> Do what I can. Um, there is one formula from it, though, that I think every book on project management I have ever read references, and that is still in use, and that more sophisticated versions of still do appear in project management software. Um, Fair enough. Which is basically, it's it's a very simple, It's it involves math. Sorry, everybody. Um, but uh, it's a very simple formula that is designed to give you a more realistic estimate of whatever you are trying to do. Um, oh and it is, it is, it goes thusly and I'll link to this in show notes in case you're driving and don't have anything to write down with listeners. Um, but, uh, you take the optimistic estimate. So what's the best case scenario for when I'm going to finish this? Uh, mm-hmm. you take the, you find a, a most likely or a, not a realistic, that's what you're calculating, but you, what's the most likely estimate? What do projects like this usually take? And then you get a pessimistic estimate. Um, and what you do is you add these together, but you weight them. So you add the optimistic estimate plus four times the likely estimate plus the mm-hmm. pessimistic one. And then you divide the whole mess by six. Uh, and <laughs> what will probably happen is you will be close to the likely estimate because you weighted it very heavily. But the number will probably get dragged in one direction or the other. 
towards the optimistic right. or pessimistic. And in most cases, if you've done your homework, it tends to go towards the pessimistic end. Um, right. Well, yeah, whichever one is further from yeah, absolutely. the likely. Yeah. And there's there are all kinds of biases and problems built into this. I mean, you know, you could be too optimistic in your likely estimate. You could be too optimistic in your pessimistic estimate. Um, one thing I'll link to in show notes is the Wikipedia entry for planning fallacy, which uh, references some <laughs> research in which uh, students were asked how long it would take them to get their senior thesis done. And um, there was an average number of days in an optimistic estimate and an average number of days in a worst case scenario estimate. And then the average completion date was further out than the worst case estimate. Um, mm -hmm. So on average, the group did worse than their pessimistic one. So again, there can be biases and problems built into this. Um, I, I think something like this method, this formula will work best if you are in a field or a company where there's a lot of readily available data and your project looks like other ones in a way that you can compare. Because um, then it's very easy to say, well, this kind of building usually takes 77 days to put up. Uh, it has sure. taken as long as three years. It has been done in 62 days, you know, and use those as your three. Um, in most cases, you're going to have to ask around, estimate, make your best guesses. The reason I like this, though, even for a casual user who's still probably going to be biased in the optimistic direction, is I think it slows you down enough to start to make you start thinking about what you're doing. And really <laughs> thinking about those, like we talked about, you don't want to think about the worst case scenario. You don't want to think about the mm -hmm. risks, even the known risks, even the ones you're sure are going to come up. You don't want to think about those. Um, mm -hmm. if, if one time, you know, if the average it takes you to get to work is 37 minutes and occasionally it takes an hour and one time the stars aligned, <laughs> there was no traffic, you hit every green light and you made it in 17 minutes. Um, we all like to think that from now on, we're always going to get there in 15, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. um, but I think when you start thinking in these terms and start asking yourself, you know, what's a likely estimate? What is a pessimistic estimate? Like, what is the worst that, that can happen? I mm -hmm. think that that exercise in itself will probably drag your numbers towards reality a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and related to that, the other thing I'd say, too, is <clears throat> um, Julie Morgenstern in her books often talks about time estimating and actually encourages people to keep a log for a couple of weeks of everything they do and how long it takes. Um, you mm -hmm. can do that if you want. I don't really care. Um, I don't know how useful that's actually going to be because your work's probably going to change and you're writing it down is probably going to change it. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I don't know that your data is going to be great. Um, but there is... Have you ever tried it? I have actually tried to do it before um, and I think it greatly changed how I was spending my time. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I feel like for uh, the for, better, I think I was more focused on worse. my work. I, I think I was not getting a realistic picture of how much of my work day I spend working because I was spending a lot more of it working. <laughs> um, <laughs> and probably because I was being very conscious about, you know, the fact that I was at work and I was working and I was writing down what I was working on. Uh, right. You can see And that's it. not a bad thing. I'm just saying, I don't think I got good data. Um, Sure. But the thing I would say, there's an idea in um, Agile project management, uh, as it's called, um, a concept called yesterday's weather, um, which, again, relates to what I just said about, like, your commute. You know, think about even if you, what you're doing, you can't know everything is going to go wrong with it. You can know some of the things that are going to go wrong with it, and you know what you did the last time you did something similar. Um, mm -hmm. If you edited the last 10,000-word article or paper – over the course of a certain number, you know, say, say you'd spend eight hours doing that. I don't know if that's realistic or not. Um, but let's say you did a 10,000 word article in eight hours. You're probably not going to do the next one in four minutes. 
you know? Right. It's, it's like <laughs> mm-hmm. it, the concept is if it was 72 degrees yesterday and 72 degrees the day before that, it's not going to be 186 degrees tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, if it is, then the sun blew up. Sorry, everybody. So I would say, I would say, keep those two things in mind, (laughs) keep in mind what you have done before and think in terms of not just, you know, not just not, don't think of estimates as one single number. Think of them as the range of best case to worst case. Mm -hmm. Did I I talk too much? No, no. Those were good. I don't know that I, I mean, I'm in, I'm in agreement. Mm. Pack a jacket. How uh, how much agreement would you estimate you have? Mm. I'm all out. <laughs> out of scope. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, good stuff. You have been listening to Priority. Once again, for complete show notes, or if you'd like to send us feedback via email or subscribe to the show, visit us on the web at priority.fm. If you enjoyed the program today, please go to iTunes and leave us a positive rating and review, as that will help new listeners find the show. Also, if you're interested in getting updates or communicating with us via tweets, follow us on Twitter, where we are at PriorityFM. That's at P-R-I-O-R-I-T-Y-F-M. Thanks again for listening. Useful stuff in there. I don't think it was as fun as some of our recent stories. <laughs> Man, I was sitting on a joke, but we went elsewhere, so maybe you can cut this back okay. in. Just drop it somewhere, like in the middle of a sentence. That'd I'll be drop great. it like it's hot. Um, oh no! I don't, I don't even really know what that, that means. Sad. That was mm-hmm. I didn't get that. I think that's okay. I think the world is okay with that. Um, your coworker, who's actually very good at. Turning uh, through work and not letting it expand. Mm-hmm. Um, that law is called Parkinson's hammock. <laughs> Tim Ferriss would be so proud. <laughs> Picturing Tim Ferriss all tangled up in a hammock. There's a, there's a great moment in that episode of Back to Work I mentioned where, because Merlin's talking about like having a half of a day at work. Um, and yeah. like, he starts to say, he starts to say it and then catches himself and he's like, <laughs> If you say you have, uh, I'm not going to say four hours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. No, I remember that episode once you started talking about it. Yeah. I do like that one. It's true. Yeah. Very true. Very true. Yeah. I had a lot of, mm. I had a lot of other school kind of examples. Lined That's up. funny. I, um, well, I was thinking about like the, I, I made my graduate school joke, which actually also would have fit into the yesterday's weather kind of thing. I mean, like, you probably haven't been through too many degrees of graduate school, but other people have. So you could look back and see how many of them, you know, how many people have finished a given kind of degree, given level of degree, in how much time. Uh, And Mm -hmm. I was thinking about that in terms of undergrad as well, and, um, like, a different version of my (laughs) master's degree in five weeks joke. Um, I was thinking about how, like, what would be the the optimistic and the most likely and the pessimistic estimate for finishing, say, a, just a bachelor's degree. 
Um, mm-hmm. And how, like, I don't care how crazy you are, you know, about getting it done. Like, three and a half years is probably a way optimistic estimate um, for most for most bachelor's degrees in most fields in the United States of America. Like, if you if everything lines up and you get it all done and you come in with some AP credit, like, three and a half, it, it happens. People do it even faster than that. But, you know, mm-hmm. that's probably a way optimistic estimate. But then while I was researching mm-hmm. it, I came across um, – this website of a guy named Steve Pavlina who claims to have finished two bachelor's degrees simultaneously in three semesters. Three semesters? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Well, uh, and from – well, what's funny is, you know, and obviously I have first-hand knowledge of these things. Um, first, what's funny to me is that could very well be true at a lot of um, public institutions, mm-hmm. but a lot of private institutions right now um, – as a result of the economy, basically, are really pushing three-year programs. Mm-hmm. Oh um, yeah, no, I think it's I think it's yeah, big, and I, it's more common now. There's a lot of places that have uh, anywhere that's got um, you know you mentioned private, particularly for-profit institutions tend to have these one-year to eighteen-month degree completion programs. And oh, increasingly, wow. like a lot of them, like Bellevue has a lot of for like MBAs no, or for what? like for if you if you don't have a bachelor's yet. Um, and what it usually is like Bellevue university has a bunch of 18 month programs, degree completion programs. And the idea is like, you know, you come in 18 months later, you've got your bachelor's degree and it's kind of a, no matter what you've got coming in sort of thing. Like if you've got any college credit, they will find a way, they will count work experience. They will count extracurriculars, you know, do all kinds of craziness. So like, you know, you can, you can shrink it down pretty far if you get into some Mm -hmm. of those situations. Um, but you know, in general, like it's, it's, yeah, in a lot of places, it's optimistic to say, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I would totally believe a lot of private institutions are pushing the, the shorter ones because they can get mm-hmm. away with it. But, um, yeah, well, I, I and, would bet on the average yeah. student though. I mean, it's the, the other problem is for the average student, that number has been creeping up and up and up. Um, many mm-hmm. people, I don't know if it's most, but many people, a huge plurality don't finish in four years anymore. Right, right. No, and I'm thinking of um, even when I was uh, touring colleges, um, more than one public institution told me that four years would be pushing it for an education degree. Right. Um, and that would be even with summer mm-hmm. courses, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but then when I did go to my um, the institution I ended up at, my English degree probably did only take three years, mm. but I also studied abroad mm. and dabbled with like four different minors that I almost picked right. up. <laughs> so I filled the four years just fine, yeah, but it yeah. was it was awfully yeah. Um, easy. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, not to say not, <laughs> credit wise, yeah. not to say it can't be credit done. wise, not yeah. rigor. Yeah, just that, um, that would be optimistic. And the other thing I yeah. I thought of along those lines that I did not fit in, but I like, and I'll mention here because it's I'm a good I'm a good case for this. Um, the other problem with the PERT technique is that the pessimistic case most people won't actually include. The pessimistic case isn't that oh, it takes five years or seven years or ten years. The pessimistic case is it never gets done, um, which is right. true. Of all so how do you calculate? Yeah. The worst, the, <laughs> Goodbye. The worst summer. case is not. It's going to take a long time. <laughs> the worst case is you die. <laughs> oh, wah, wah. Yeah, anyhow. So many wah-wahs. Yeah. Bert plus. 